everyone. Welcome to Don't Call Me a Guru. I am your host, Linda Huang, and this is the first episode of our new format. So each month, the pod will explore how different industries, businesses, individuals, local and beyond are using social media. And the intent is still the same. So I hope that social media strategists, marketers, community managers, just people who are generally interested in social media can get ideas and inspiration for the work that you're doing or even how you use your own social. So, uh, of course, the podcast is still a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial, and we're also recording in a new space now. So thank you to my friends at Nate uh, for letting us use their recording studio here, Nate Radio and Television Broadcasting. They've got a great program. We're going to kick it off today with a conversation with the Royal Alberta Museum. So they just uh, unveiled Western Canada's largest museum, and I've got Kelsey and Oksana here to tell us all about sort of the social media that went into just the opening as well as kind of that day-to-day with the museum. Could I have both of you ladies introduce yourselves? Sure, yeah. I'm Oksana Gowen. I'm the head of marketing and communications at the Royal Alberta Museum. Uh, That involves overseeing all the marketing and communications work, including advertising, brand, and overarching strategic direction for tools such as social media. And I'm Kelsey Tetros. I'm the communications officer at the Royal Alberta Museum. Uh, My role is mainly media relations, but I also work alongside our marketing officer to help plan and strategize and create content for the social media for RAM. So the new RAM opened to lots of fanfare, I think. Think uh, in October. Can you just talk about um, sort of the the work that went into the opening um, and all of the social media work that went into it? So I saw there were you know Facebook lives, tons of Instagram stories, lots of tweeting. Um, I think you also did some influencer work. Just yeah, tell us tell us everything that went into the the opening of the new RAM. Yeah, so we we did a ton of stuff on social for this. We had multiple phases of the project. So we closed the Glenora Museum in December of 2015. And so a large part of that was our closing party where we used social media to really share people's memories of the old space and their excitement about the new space. And we used uh, a lot of user-generated content for that to get that messaging across. And then uh, between when the old museum closed and when the new one opened, we tried to build excitement for it and also bring people along for the ride because we really didn't want to lose the audiences that we had created. We had a lot of fans that loved the museum, were really passionate about it. We didn't want to lose those people over the few years before the museum opened. Yeah, it was quite some time. (laughs) Yeah, it was almost three years. We uh, wanted to maintain those audiences and we wanted to bring people along on the journey of the new museum project and keep the connection with the collections that we had. So uh, we started this by bringing in pieces of the process along the way. So we showed um, milestone moments of the museum being built, we, the construction being completed, bringing in um, specific people to do things like build mounts for the exhibits, which is something that is very specific that normal people don't recognize as something that goes into building a museum or building a diorama. Like, how do you do that? Who is mm-hmm. this person that does that? So we use <laughs> social media to share those behind the scenes moments of the process of making a museum and kind of maintain that excitement along the way and keep those audiences engaged throughout that time. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, and our overarching strategy at that point was really to position the museum as an important member of the community and not lose that. So we were very encouraged by the response that we got at closing and we wanted to really take those audiences and and make sure that we had an opportunity to, like Kelsey said, connect them with the collection, but also uh, keep them engaged and anticipate the new museum opening. Um, So we did really try and push a lot of, um, 
you know, nostalgia, but also really setting us setting us up for what to expect and, and slowly introducing the new brand and, and tone through some of that over the time that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved into pre-opening and date announcement. Um, but before we talk about that, maybe just a little bit more on sort of the making the museum. So, yeah. um, you know, it was a long period of time. It was about two years. And like Kelsey said, we tried to show some behind the scenes and, and sharing of milestones. There were some challenges with that. Right. Um, the project was huge. And so there were a lot of different moving parts and being able to stay on top of that and also respond in social in real time was a bit challenging. So we kind of took a combined approach where we set a few, um, you know, for milestones, we'd have bigger plans and we'd really set those out. And then we'd really work with staff to say, you know, what's going on today that might be interesting and it may not be interesting to you because you're used to uh, working with packaging up you know specimens of things all day long (laughs) but we're not and our audiences certainly aren't so definitely it was uh, a lot of communication involved in terms of trying to stay on top of what was going on but also a lot of flexibility and uh, knowing that you can't plan all your content but also that spontaneous content has to fit within the overarching kind of build up towards opening was it um that's funny you mentioned that because i do i do find that whenever you ask people in an in an organization send me a picture of that right and they're like why would you want this is not interesting this <laughs> this is not news and they just they just don't yeah. realize yeah. that your audience finds that interesting um did you find it a challenge like were were you asking museum staff to send you content or were you going out and getting that content yourself how was that uh, sort of being managed Yeah, it was both. Um, So we would figure out, you know, some interesting aspects of the project that we thought we wanted to share. And then we'd go out and and meet with teams and talk about, you know, these are the things that we'd like to tag in on. We promise not to interrupt your work too much, but we'd definitely like to have a, uh, you know, a presence there. Uh, And then also we just left it really open and kept reminding staff and sharing with them some of the examples uh, that we saw of things that were were doing well or uh, other things. So really sort of a two way in that in that respect. And uh, for the most part, our staff, you know, they were missing connecting with the public. So this was a really good outlet for them for that. Um, And everybody was excited about the project and being able to kind of share this once in a lifetime opportunity. So that was a good thing. But it was challenging also just to um, just to be able to respond to things on time. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a bit of a a challenge for sure. Did you find... um in terms of, were there, I guess, negative comments about the museum moving? Did you have sort of a plan in place on how you would respond to the negative about the museum move? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely there were mixed reviews. Uh, there's a <laughs> lot of uh, attachment to the Glenora location, and that's perfectly understandable. And I think that was one of our, you know, um, intentions going in was to make sure that we kept those loyal audiences and that we spoke to them as well and not just sort of looking forward and and trying to set us up to, okay, we're in a new community downtown and that's all we're looking at. No, we want to make sure that, you know, we're still very much uh, Alberta's museum and Edmonton's museum in that respect. So yeah, we had a little bit of, uh, especially around the idea of parking. Uh, So we definitely had, you know, we're we're government, so we had our messaging prepared. um, And then then, uh, the, 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 the skills came in in terms of trying 
trying to adapt all of that for a social audience. Right. Um, sure. So that's definitely something that we we worked on. And, and, you know, how do you answer the same question 30 times or 40 yeah, times yeah. differently? Right. So, <laughs> that's yeah. Important. yeah, I'm actually I'm, I'm thrilled that you actually wanted to answer it differently yeah. because I think <laughs> yeah. we've all seen accounts where it's just the same copy and paste right. reply. Yeah. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> who are listening. Um, what you just mentioned actually was interesting about uh, sharing the positive and sharing kind of what the reaction was for social posts back to your staff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so huge. So because they're not maybe necessarily on social media every day, that's not their job. Um, why did you find that to be, you know, important or part of your social media uh, strategy? Um, I think it was really important because especially for a lot of staff when we're because like Oksana mentioned, our staff missed connecting with the public. Like that's one of the things that they loved so much was having the museum open, seeing the kids running through the galleries and seeing them engaging with the objects and with the dioramas and things like that. Uh, I think that it was really huge for staff to still feel like they got that connection with the community. And also just when you're in a project like what we were in, it was so hard to, sometimes it was hard to pull out and look at the bigger picture of why we're doing this. And Albertans really are the reason that the museum is here. We want to share Albertan stories and connect with people and have people see themselves in our galleries. So I think being able to connect with our audience in that way and share that back with the staff really gave them an extra boost and mm-hmm. helped them remember day to day, like why we're doing this. That's great. Uh, so that's sort of pre, uh, you know, move. How mm-hmm. about getting into, oh, my God, it's happening in six months. Oh, my God, it's three months away. Uh, did you sort of shift gears? Was it a different sort of strategy for that? And, and was it crazy? <laughs> uh, yes to all of the above. Um, yeah, so we started, uh, you know, doing some work on our brand. And, and, and really, that was kind of the kicking off point in terms of shaping our social media strategy was being able to introduce the new voice. And, and and a bit of a new tone to what we're doing. Um, and then in terms of the pre-opening push, I mean, yeah, it was kind of a hurry up and wait. Uh, and then it was just, yeah, it was a lot of work all at once. So our big thing was announcing the date. And maybe I'll let Kelsey talk a little bit about how that came about because she she played a really key role in that. Great. So I like to refer to our strategy as Taylor Swifting the announcement. <laughs> because, <laughs> nice. because um, I kind of, we kind of drew on uh, how Taylor Swift announced her album reputation where she went dark on all her social media and then she released you know short videos leading up to the announcement of her album we didn't do quite that extreme of a announcement you didn't dive back and kind of delete everything but we did we did go a little bit quiet on social in the months leading up and I mean the number one question everyone wanted the answer to was when When? are you opening yes and it got to a point where I think people were getting a little bit annoyed that we weren't sharing that Mm -hmm. so uh, we kind of dialed it back a little bit and let the anticipation build up and then when we actually did come time to announcing the date, there wasn't just the date that we were announcing. We were also unveiling a brand new website. We were announcing that our opening weekend would be six days of free admission. We had our new brand that we were launching. We had our hashtag, hashtag new RAM that we wanted to get going. So there was a lot of stuff packaged up and we had an opportunity to make a really big splash with it. Hmm. So we are... Lots of anticipation for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So our ad campaign was um, some crates that um, you might have seen on billboards or placed around the city. So we used that in our social posts where we and we also used it for the date unveiling at the uh, press release but so we had an image of the crate with the opening date on it and we had it blurred out so that you couldn't see what it was but you could kind of see like a mammoth shaped blob (laughs) and maybe like almost a logo but you couldn't see what the date was right 
And so on September 11th, we shared it on our social media and just said, we've got something big to announce tomorrow. Tune into our live stream. Yeah. Most people figured out it was the day announcement, <laughs> but it was still, you know, intriguing enough that I think people tuned yeah. in. And it was also the first time we had done a Facebook live stream at the museum. So that was really exciting, too. And so we was that a bit of a learning curve, or how, how did that go? I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I do find so first time live streams, you're always gonna, yeah. you know, we should have done that differently, or oh, that's what that button does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No matter how much yeah. you try, but, yeah. uh, but how did that go? I guess it went well. Um, like personally, I had done it at a previous role before, so I was somewhat familiar, but I had only done it once before. So yeah. you know, you're still and not in the freezing cold. And not in freezing <laughs> yeah, cold. So yeah. very cold that day. September in Alberta, you never know what you're gonna get, and it was snowing that day, yeah. and I think one degree <laughs> it was very cold oh but... yeah the freak september snow yeah mm-hmm. that was that was the day yeah <laughs> was <our> day. <laughs> and it was an outdoor announcement because we were still keeping the inside of the museum a bit of a surprise so we didn't want to bring people in for the announcement right um so uh yeah the facebook live stream went really well one of the major things that um i've struggled with in the past with facebook live is audio especially yep. when the tools that we have is an iphone yep and you're so did you have a mic or was it just straight iPhone? We had an iPhone with a little mic that could plug into the port where you charge. I don't know what that port's called. But one of those we'll, we'll call it the charger port. The charger port. <laughs> <laughs> Technical terms here. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we had one of those mics and we had um, a company that was doing audio for the event because it was also part of an actual press right. uh, conference. Yeah. Press conference. Yes. Thank you. Um, so we Facebook live stream the uh unveiling of the crate which showed the date announcement and then we had uh, I was in the back with a laptop updating our Facebook <laughs> banners and icons with my fingers all freezing time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was all happening so it was all unveiling at the same time and it was a really big success because like I mentioned we were unveiling that it was six days of free admission and people needed to book time tickets to come during mm-hmm. those six days and wow, the response we got from that um, website crashed a few times. I yeah, think. <laughs> but that's not, that's a good sign. It yeah. was. <laughs> We're gonna look at that. Positively. Yeah, yeah. It's positive. I got my yeah. tickets. So okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was a real testament to the power of the social media reach that we got. For it was that the we were two thirds sold out of all of the tickets available before the news release had even gone out to traditional media. Amazing. Yeah. So, so. that yeah, and then that's great because you can tie it to well, what else was happening that morning? Absolutely. It, it was social media yeah exactly that's yeah. great yeah so yeah that was a really amazing uh announcement and i think that it did a great job of getting all of those messages across that we have a new brand we have a new website we have an opening date we can't wait to see you mm-hmm. taylor swifting strategy <laughs> <laughs> i think we'll call this episode that <laughs> that's awesome um i mean so y- you mentioned I, that's one of the ways i think you can measure that success like that you were two-thirds sold out before mm-hmm. uh, the press release even went out um how how else were you measuring success for for even your social leading up to um is that something that on a day-to-day you are looking at analytics quite closely or is it more campaign based um and then yeah how for the new ram opening did you measure success Uh, Yeah, we looked at our, we had targets for followers and for engagement and all of those things that, you know, social media managers usually look for. Um, We definitely saw that our date announcement posts did amazing as far as engagement and reach, and they were shared around a lot. And uh, our followers increased substantially. Our Instagram followers more than, or nearly tripled um, since the date announcement. And our our Twitter and Facebook followers, we already had a pretty good base there. Instagram was more new. Instagram Mm -hmm. was more new, yeah. Um, But we've definitely seen an increase on all of them and an increase in the engagement on all of our posts. And I mean, part of that is that we were a little bit quiet leading up to the Mm -hmm. opening. So it's, you know, not an apples 
apples to apples comparison. But. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of our sort of informal measures was around the hashtag use. And right. obviously, Ram is another brand out there. Yeah. Um, so before we started this, that's one of the things that we looked at was uh, just just the number of posts, especially on Instagram in terms of um, making sure making sure that and, and seeing if we could, you know, creep our way into that big brand presence yeah. there. And and I think we managed to do that quite well. So we were really pleased with that. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great hashtag pick, too. Great. Yeah. yeah I mean, thanks. Well, like, well, <laughs> well, we had a few different ideas. So in yeah. the end, I'm glad oh. we went with short and simple. Like, yeah. Longer ideas. Yeah, that's yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 I think I saw a hashtag the other day that was like 30, 30 characters long. Oh, jeez. No. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely had some of those that we toyed with. Yeah. I'm glad that we settled on hashtag me ram. And it works really well for us to use it in posts, like in, in a sentences. sentences. Mm-hmm. I think that's very powerful. Yeah. 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 And like, have you seen the hashtag new ram yet or something? That's, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. important. Exactly. Did, did you do, I think I saw you guys did page social as well we did yeah yeah sponsored posts ads we did yeah Yeah. so we did run uh, a major advertising campaign with this and like I said at the beginning there was um, always intention to do to have a social component to that campaign Uh, we had some really lofty ideas at the beginning and just based on resources of of actual people that are all working on the project it was harder for us to execute some of that Uh, so we ended up going with a sort of more straightforward and and I think organic way of approaching the uh, the campaign and how it might live on social uh, through the photos and, and kind of having that kind of use of it. So um, definitely, but paid was part of part of the campaign, though, though not as substantial as one might think in oh, terms okay. of the budget. Yeah. Do you normally, I mean, previously had um, the Ram done paid social media? Is that usually part of your social media strategy on like an ongoing basis? You know what? Honestly, we had been closed <laughs> for so long <laughs> that we were really uh, not doing much. Yeah. Uh, uh, our our social presence was pretty much all we had in the community. Yep. We weren't doing any paid throughout the closure period. Right. There was nothing that was going on like that. I think we'd done some, and I had started just around the closing. So prior to that, I think that there were some strategic moments in which there were paid social posts. But other than that, I don't think it was a, a huge focus for them. No, going forward, it's definitely something that we're looking at doing a lot more of, though. Great. Yeah. Um, so that was opening. How about uh, the week, the the six days of free admission? How did that go from a, from a social perspective? It was great. Yeah, actually, one of our top posts on, I think, on Twitter. So we were live streaming the opening ceremonies that we had in the morning. We had the dignitaries. Don Iveson was there. Premier Rachel Notley was there. Minister Miranda. Um, so we live streamed that on Facebook. We had a learning experience there where uh, you have to start the Facebook live stream in the orientation on your cell phone that you want it to be. <laughs> or else if you yeah. try to switch it later. We had to yeah. turn it off and start it again a few minutes in. So, yeah. you know, learning experience there. Yeah, that's but, important. Uh, no so, one is perfect. Exactly. So we had um, a few volunteers helping us out, which was huge for the opening. So we had um, our marketing officer was on Instagram, posting on Instagram stories. I was live tweeting our web content guy was doing the Facebook live stream. And we also had some volunteers from across the government of Alberta help us out during that opening day. So we had 
six or seven volunteers, I think, um, communications advisors from the government running around capturing content for us because mm-hmm. we couldn't be everywhere at once. So mm-hmm. we had a few people helping us out with boots on the ground content of those iconic moments of, you know, the first visitors through the doors mm-hmm. and people reacting to the exhibits and that kind of thing. So it was definitely crazy. Were they posting as well or were they more taking pictures to give? They to- were sharing it with us and we used some of them that day and we also spread them out over the rest of the weekend as well. So we kind of curated Great. the content and we've been using it ever since. Great. So yeah, it worked out really well and we've got some great shots of like, you know, various things happening from different angles and yeah. different people's experiences and it was it was a really good thing to have because it would be yeah. so hard for us to take over. We couldn't have been in all those places at once yeah. and we couldn't also rely just on professional photographers for that yeah, footage. For we sure. wanted it to have that feel of yeah. authenticity. So Authentic. yeah, for exactly. Sure. Um in terms of, you know, having someone do Instagram story, you're tweeting, someone's on the Facebook, did you pre plan what you were going to say or did you know which shots you wanted people to send um send you were you concerned about differing voices or anything or was everyone kind of on the same page um it was a mix of everything so we did have some of our posts planned out ahead of time but as far as you know like live tweeting the speeches I was watching them and then picking out a sentence that really resonated with me or that I felt spoke to the new museum experience and then tweeting that Mm -hmm. um so we we had kind of a mix of we knew who was speaking and when and that kind of thing that we could pull that stuff and get their, you know, handles geared up and ready to go. But it was more of a spontaneous thing for that. As far as the people running around and capturing moments, we had sort of shot lists of things that we definitely wanted to get. But we did want it to feel authentic and authentic experiences Mm -hmm. at the museum. Mm -hmm. We wanted it to be real, not staged. And because there were only two people posting that were directly on our team, they were familiar with the tone and and so on. And we do have guidelines that we set about um, for that. So obviously they were familiar with that. And and that was a strategy there is just to have those two key people posting. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. And then and so opening and then the rest of the I mean, I think I saw you guys had released a, an infographic for <laughs> here's a few days. It's oh, you got the, <laughs> she, she printed out the infographic. <laughs> we can we can paste it into the blog post of the podcast. Uh, but yeah. So in terms of the you wanna, do you want to read the infographic? <laughs> Yeah, we did kind of a roundup after the opening weekend. So we had six days of free admission. We had about over 41,000 people come to visit during those six days. Uh, It was great to see the galleries so full, but it also, you know, it never felt like overly crowded. It was like comfortable. The space held the people really well. And I think overwhelmingly positive response on social media and from traditional media Mm -hmm. as well. Um, we had over 200 mammoth selfies with our mammoths in the mm. lobby. So we saw a lot of people taking photos with those, and we continue to see a ton of them on Instagrams. So people love that. Would you say that's the most Instagrammable spot in the museum, or is there a, a <laughs> secret Instagrammable place that more people hmm. should be going I think to? We're, <laughs> I think we will share that soon. <laughs> oh my gosh! You heard it here first. <laughs> I'm all about the Instagrammable <laughs> yeah. walls and experiences. Okay, so currently the yeah. mammoth. Yes, currently. Is the most and I mean, it's a very architecturally beautiful building. There's the so light many. is incredible is. in that Love space. Love the windows. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. Ernestine Tejito murals are great. Like lots of people post out there. Like there's lots of great spots in that museum. Mm-hmm. So. Did you expect? I feel like I saw a lot of giant sloth. 
yes. yeah. over any, yeah. over any of the other prehistoric animals. Sl- it seems to have a, quite the impact on people. Yeah. I remember, uh, <laughs> you know, we had a journalist come through terrified of it, and I think that sort of started a little bit of a uh, a role with that one. But yeah. yeah, no, I I wouldn't have anticipated that. Yeah, they just look so different from your regular sloths. Right yeah, now. so I think it's like. <laughs> Wow, what happened? <laughs> yeah. It is terrifyingly yeah. huge. It is, <laughs> yeah. With, you know, hair and a body uh, attached yeah. to the skeleton. And the way that the lighting's set up, where you it's see very, the shadow, it's, it's very dramatic. dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that, though, yeah, that yeah. they have the shadows of the body. Yeah, I like that, too. It's very nice. Yeah. Um, anyways, continue with your program. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so one element that was brought up kind of during the opening ceremonies and turned into a thing that we did not expect was our mammoth socks. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. So that's a, an object or an item that's for sale in our museum shop that's just socks with our mammoth logo on them and Don Iveson, Miss Miranda, Chris Robinson, they were all wearing the socks during the opening ceremony and was that planned? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. No, they that's just started amazing. yeah. <laughs> somebody somebody posted about it. I can't remember who did it first and then we shared it and then it just kind of took off. Like one person bought 40 pairs on opening day. It's <laughs> amazing. One single person. And so <laughs> we had nearly 300 pairs of mammoth socks sold in those first 6 days. I bought one. Did you? <laughs> I did. Yes, well, for then. my husband. Yeah. You're in our infographic then. That's great. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So that was a huge thing that we didn't expect, but we loved it. Like, we love to run with that. And it's still something that we see people posting about here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a, a thing in our bug gallery where we asked people to say, what did they learn about bugs today? And we had over 400 people share something on there, mostly ch- children saying, like, I like the ladybugs or mm-hmm. the mantis shrimp is really cool or I didn't know that there's a giant bird eating spider you know (laughs) things like that yeah (laughs) that you can see on display Um, and then of course in our human history hall there's a mechanical horse Mm. that children can ride Weight limit of 100 pounds, I will note. Uh, <laughs> Lots of adults tested, try tested to. This, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we looked at the counter at the end of the opening weekend and over 20,000 rides on that mechanical horse. So that's pretty huge. So, that's amazing. Yeah, it was definitely So some hit. fun stats, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And those are things that we often see on you know, Instagram stories of like little kids riding on the horse and like kids peering into the uh, the bug gallery tanks. and looking That's at the popular stuff. content that people mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have a few more questions, but uh, we're going to take a mandatory ad break um, and listen to uh, who's sponsoring today's episode of Don't Call Me a Guru. We will be right back. This episode of Don't Call Me a Guru is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation is a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. Don't Call Me a Guru is brought to you by the Let's Do Coffee podcast, produced by the Maji Center for New Venture and Student Entrepreneurship at Nate. Each episode features an interview with a student entrepreneur or Nate alumnus talking about challenges, questions, and fears involved in operating their companies. Listen to the show at nate.ca slash Center. All right, welcome back to Don't Call Me a Guru. We are here with 
Kelsey Tetro and Oksana Gowen. Uh, they are with the Royal Alberta Museum, and we're learning all about social media strategy and tactics that went into the opening of the hashtag new Ram. So you've talked about, you know, the pre-planning, you've talked about the opening day, you've talked a little bit about the week of. Um, I'm wondering, I want to talk more about the week of, I guess. How did you approach social media for that week is what I'm curious about. Were you specific about what you were sharing? Was it just a lot of retweeting and sharing of other people's content? What was your approach to the actual week of, of opening? Yeah, I mean, we started off with uh, obviously celebrating a lot of the success and kind of uh, sharing that back. So like the infographic we mentioned, but also user generated content was really our key for that. Uh, so sharing a lot of photos and stories and other things that people were posting about their experiences. And it's one really good way of getting people familiar with what the experience is, but also for us to see what the experience is so that we can then start uh, thinking a little bit more about what content we might want to post to complement that or to support that in any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, Kels, I don't know if there's some more that you want to add to that, but yeah, I would just echo that. Like with, uh, we mentioned that we unveiled a new brand with the launch of our opening date and everything. And part of our new brand is that we are, we're friendly and we're approachable and we want people to see themselves in the museum and so I think sharing user-generated content really pushes that home Mm -hmm. and it's more authentic for people to get that real experience of what they will see when they come so it's not just us telling you what you should see it's other people saying this is really cool check it out yeah that third-party endorsement is Mm -hmm. pretty powerful Mm -hmm. on social yeah absolutely and what about challenges for the week itself what did you find sort of uh, either as the learning curve or things that maybe you weren't expecting I definitely think that the amount of responses that we got from people was amazing. It was uh, overwhelmingly positive, as we kind of mentioned before, and people were really excited, but it also required us to respond back. And there were lots of questions about things that we had to answer. And, you know, we really wanted to engage with everyone and respond to everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's so important on social media to have those conversations and engage with your community. So it was definitely a lot of stuff coming in. And we also didn't want to spam people by retweeting every single post that people Mm -hmm. shared about the new music. So timing out your retweets and being particular about what you retweet. Yeah. (laughs) Not to, I think people, I think some companies still do this. They, you know, when you're, when you're in the office at 830 and then you've got all those messages from the night before. So you just hit retweet on like, 30, 30 different things all at once. Yeah, it's not a bit much. Yeah, that's not the strategy that they should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also then mixing the content up. So it's a combination of uh, informative content, but also fun things. I mean, and like you said, there was a lot more that we could have retweeted, but we really wanted to make sure that it was, yeah. um, you know, within limits for yeah, sure. We're being selective about exactly. it. Exactly. Which is nice. Yeah. So would you say that this is sort of the biggest social media kind of digital project that that you've taken on, that both of you have taken on or have been involved in? (laughs) This is the biggest everything project I've ever done. It was so much work, but so much fun and so rewarding. Um, we, we were down a person for a few months leading up to opening as well. So it was just me, Oksana and our communications advisor from the ministry of culture and tourism communications doing pretty much everything for marketing and communications. There was a lot of overtime, a lot of a lot of uh, late nights. A lot of late night texting each other, but it was so rewarding mm-hmm. when the doors opened and everyone was happy and just seeing their responses. It was huge. So it's great. Yeah. It was huge. 
Yeah. And I think for me, too, this was definitely the largest social project uh, that I've been part of. I did work at the art gallery and worked on that opening. Oh, okay. But it was it's funny because I was just thinking back how many years ago that was um, over a decade now. <laughs> it's scary to think. But surprisingly, the climate was so different then. I just remember that uh, we had invited bloggers into the opening and that was... That something was that was crazy at the time. Oh, yeah. Nobody had done it yet, um, <laughs> but it was so successful for yeah. us. And it was something that really went a long way in terms of building those relationships going mm-hmm. forward. So for this, we definitely looked at including um, influencers, but also Great. we worked a lot with uh, community partners, particularly with tourism and making sure that people were aware of what our plans were, what content was going to be going out, but also had the tools to then be able to create their own content. Yeah. So um, I know a lot of organizations create, you know, kits for for uh, for influencers and other yep. other posters. So that that's a really great practice. And and when you're doing something this big, the less that you have to respond in the moment, right. and the more that you can do in advance, the better off you are. Right. So definitely providing them with you know everything from hashtags to images, logos, that kind of thing is always a really great idea. Did you give them suggested captions or key messages or that sort of thing, or kind of let them do a, a more free reign? Well, we gave them some, you know, I guess sound bites, so to speak, you know, largest museum, Western Canada, those kinds of things, but definitely left them free reign in terms of what they were doing. We were also getting a lot of media coverage at the time. So a lot of that was being generated for us um, in a positive way. So we were lucky in that regard. Right. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned tourism, actually. So I think that's interesting in terms of audience, um, with it being the largest in Western Canada, were you looking at, you know, differentiating between are your social media followers primarily local? Are they outside of Edmonton, Alberta? Yeah. Are they more Canada? Do you do you treat how you post differently on different platforms because of the audiences that you're speaking to? It's a really good question. I think um, most of our opening, just because of the focus on getting people through the building, was definitely within sort of the local region. But our reach and our scope is definitely Alberta-wide. And for the project of this scale, we wanted to hit the national yeah. uh, media and, and social as well. So that was actually one of the more difficult things to nail in terms of being able to spread ourselves out to think strategically, but also then to have the time to follow up on that. So mm-hmm. I think um, we did a really good job locally, and then we did leverage tourism relationships to try and get out beyond that. And I think it's something that we're going to just continue to build on. We did hit some national um media as well and and that really helped in terms of bringing us nationally but we didn't identify you know key social followers we did work right. with other museums and kind of engage with them hey we're back you know that kind of thing right, yeah. rom i know retweeted uh, a few things of ours or messaged us back so that was part of the strategy strategy there that's was nice. to also put ourselves with it back within the museum community great yeah actually that's that that leads into the next question really well do you do you find that the royal alberta museum social media accounts primarily engage with the people who are coming in or is it you know are you trying to be the kind of funny museum that talks to the other museum <laughs> down south or you know I'm thinking of yeah. the, the Edmonton Oilers and you know right. all those hockey teams who sort of and it becomes sort of the the most engaging posts is when they talk yeah. to each other um, is that sort of part of what you're doing or did or are going to do 
there's so many things that we could do, right? And that's the thing. That's exactly it, where there's so many different ways that that presence can take form. And I think one of the things right now, we've obviously been focused on making sure that people know we're open, that we're welcoming, that uh, we want people to visit, that they're having a great time, uh, but also, you know, connecting with the collection and and, and building out that side of what we're doing. Um, but I think going forward, yeah, definitely we're looking at what our voice would look like. And it's funny you bring that up because it, Kelsey and I were talking earlier today in preparation for this, and we were talking about how often social media is used as a tool. There's a direct relationship between number of followers or your activity and the number of people that are coming through the door and for, for an organization like ours. And we were just saying how that's really shifted. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of followers who I'm sure have never been to the museum. Of course, I'd like them to come, but, yes. um, you know, they've probably never been, but that doesn't mean that your impact isn't there. And right. so it's really about translating what that impact is or could be mm -hmm. and making sure that everybody in the museum understands what that is. But then, like you said, having fun with that and maybe figuring out what could be that role for your museum or your organization in social. All right. So we're going to take one final ad break. We will be back in literally a minute. Don't Call Me a Guru is brought to you by the Let's Do Coffee podcast, produced by the Maji Center for New Venture and Student Entrepreneurship at Nate. Each episode features an interview with a student entrepreneur or Nate alumnus talking about challenges, questions, and fears involved in operating their companies. Listen to the show at nate.ca slash Center. This episode of Don't Call Me a Guru is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation is a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. Okay, so you mentioned that you know, parking <laughs> it was a, it was a negative complaint that you, that you got even before the museum opened when they realized where right. it was opening. Um, in terms of neg cause I'm sure you did receive some negative social media reviews probably, uh, or comments. How did you, did you reply to these? Did you have a plan for whether you were to reply to this, but not that? What was your approach sort of for managing, um, negative comments that could surely come from an opening of a, of a new museum? Well, <laughs> You're like, yeah. you, you take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looking at each other. Um, well, I mean, our overall approach is definitely to engage and respond and acknowledge as much as possible. So um, for the most part, I think we comment on on most uh, messages that come in or posts that are, are up. I think some of it, you know, you have to just let it exist as well. And and so it, it depends on what type of commentary it is. I'll just put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, knowing whether or not to engage with it, whether that's going to help it, help what you're doing or, um, you know, just kind of exacerbate the situation and make it fuel it in a way that then you have to think about what, you know, where it could go. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we definitely had a few things like, I mean, when the tickets went on sale and then the website was crashing, we got tons of people commenting on our posts about it and saying like, what what's going 
going on? You released these tickets. Now we can't get them. They were in my cart. Now they're gone. <laughs> and uh, myself and the marketing officer, I think he got a stat that we replied to 7,000 messages wow. between comments and direct messages yeah. and tweets and Instagram. It was insane. And we responded in like to all of day? them. That day? That day. We responded yeah. to them. And, and we immediately went to planning to releasing more tickets, which was something that we ended up doing because we had sold out of all of the tickets that we were originally releasing for mm-hmm. the opening uh, opening six days. Mm-hmm. So then we went back and we replied to a bunch of people again and said, just so you know, we're releasing more tickets. Like we really wanted people to feel heard. We didn't want them to just be upset and feel like they're screaming into a void and no one's listening. We mm-hmm. wanted them to know that we are here. We are responding to you. We are going to do what we can to make sure that you can come see the museum. Did you get a good response back from them? Yeah, lots of people were very appreciative that we did take the time to respond and that we let them know, you know, the next day that we were releasing more tickets. People were really appreciative that we didn't just say, yeah, we're working on it. And then nothing came up. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, Great. Yeah. Um, so I guess I wanted to switch gears a little bit away from the opening of the new museum, but just kind of talking about your social media strategy and tactics moving forward. Um, you know, how do you plan on maintaining that ongoing interest, the day to day? Has it really quieted down? It's not as, you know, you're not answering 7,000 messages. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Uh, Yeah. Do you have a, you know, how do you approach sort of those more evergreen exhibits that are always there, making them fresh still uh, versus kind of the the new stuff that's coming, including something Instagrammable? (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. Um, Yeah, I think that we, like we kind of mentioned before, we're using a lot of user-generated content right now, again, because we want people to see the new visitor experience from the eyes of actual visitors. Um, But something that we can also do with our permanent exhibits is that we're so lucky to work in a place like a museum where people are so passionate about what they do. Like, our curators love to talk about their work. (laughs) And so we're so lucky that we can share that. Social media is a great outlet for that because it not only gives people a little bit extra from what they would get if they just came to the museum, but it also shares a little bit extra with those people that maybe can't come to the museum. Maybe Mm -hmm. they don't live in Edmonton or it's just not accessible for them or something they're interested in, but they just can't get there. It gives Mm -hmm. them a little bit extra and it it adds to the exhibits um, and it kind of keeps those permanent displays that aren't rotated out very often still interesting. So it allows us to share more of the stories. We've got, you know, 2.5 million objects in our collection and each of them has a story. Each one. Each one has a story. And, you know, our curators (laughs) know those stories and they love to share them. And it also gives them a chance to connect with that community. As we said before, they love to do that. They love to talk about what they do. Yeah. And it just gives that opportunity to maybe look at some deeper dives within those or approach the exhibit from an angle that we don't within the exhibit itself or within the museum itself. So, yeah, uh, opening up a bit of a conversation. That's kind of where we would go with some of those more permanent ones. In terms of feature exhibits, uh, they're definitely more campaign driven. Mm -hmm. So we'll look at kind of building anticipation. You know, there's a there's a finite run to it. So you build your strategy around that timeline, but also specific goals for tickets and and that kind of thing. And then it allows you to maybe get a bit more creative and do things that are more fun and more noteworthy, Mm -hmm. hopefully. uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Create a bit of a a happening in that respect and also tap into different communities. So a lot of our feature exhibits, um, our first one will be opening next year. They're all they're all uh, international.
international exhibit. So it allows us to look thematically at different communities, but also uh, different parts of the world maybe and and tap into maybe some of the conversations that are happening there. Um, And then just going back to kind of what Kelsey was talking about with the permanent exhibits, we also try and keep things fresh by looking at what's going on in the world and and seeing, you know, is there a point of relevance even within our collection, even if it's not something that's on display, how can we connect this to what's happening in the world or, you know, whether it's something really fun like St. Patrick's Day or something a little bit more... um, you know, meaningful. Like I'm, uh, I'm sure there's a sloth day. Yeah. <laughs> there's gotta be. I mean, <laughs> put that on your content. That's yeah. it. That's it. <laughs> and so, and I would think that the more campaign based sort of feature exhibits would maybe um, involve more of the paid social. Versus exactly. That organic. Exactly. And it'll be part of a larger integrated campaign. And so then the social becomes kind of, there's, there's usually uh, an initiative that we plan within mm-hmm. that to kind of build on and relate to the rest of the campaign. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, what about advice for other museums who are obviously listening? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you, you you work in social media at a museum. Things are really old. <laughs> How do you spice things up? Or what advice would you give for, to, to other museum social media specialists or communicators? <laughs> well, we were just saying there are a lot of really great museums that we look to for inspiration. So if anybody takes anything from us, that, that that's great, too. Um, but no, um, I think it's just a way of I, I think one thing is just to remember that a museum is a physical space, but it's also so much more than that. And social is really a great way to um to execute within that right and to be able to open your open the community open your museum up to conversations and and being able to do that but then you just have to be prepared to uh to give access to those and to give meaningful meaningful responses which we're luckily we have staff that are really um open to that but i know that sometimes that can be a bit of a challenge as well um but i think just knowing your audiences and your platforms as well and really understanding that what works within social is specific um and it may not just be a direct translation of what's happening in an exhibit or what's happening in a program Mm -hmm. um but it's really something that we look at um what would work for that context and what would work for that audience um so that's one of them i don't know kels what else you have yeah, and I think also just um, like something that I always find really makes me want to follow a, a brand or a company or a museum is, you know, their voice and the way that they use their voice to communicate their brand. And like um, my favorite, I always talk about them as the Field Museum. I love their voice on social because it's mm-hmm. very friendly. It's very engaging. And like I've never been to Chicago, but now I want to because I followed <laughs> them on Twitter. And yeah. I just love they make me feel like welcome and warm and that kind of thing. And I think that that's um, definitely an element of their brand that they've managed to work into their social social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really great. Personality is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's interesting, too, because I think you could argue that maybe 10 years ago, people thought of museums and it was stuffy, you know, mm, and but now with social media, probably you're you're being forced more museums are being forced to, to show what their personality actually is. Yeah. And then to have faith that that doesn't mean, you know, we have a lot of uh, academics and researchers and so on. So it's balancing that mm-hmm. and making sure that, you know, we keep that intent at the core of what we do. But we also then adjust it to make sure that it's something that people actually, you know, 
may be entertained by or like Kelsey said, you know, just want to get engaged with. So I think what you said about um, sort of expectations too around, you know, things that you're posting on social may not necessarily translate um, into an exhibit or maybe it doesn't necessarily get people through the door. Right. Is it important or or from your perspective, are you you're not treating social media as well, this is going to, you know, get people to the door and that's the number one goal that's not what is the goal i guess for your social media use don't tell our boss (laughs) 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 you're gonna have a problem here (laughs) your boss has access to the internet (laughs) i mean it's definitely both right so um you're hoping that you can inspire by who you are by what you're sharing inspire curiosity i mean you know our tagline is feed your curiosity and and i think that's really at the crux of what we do is we want to uh, ensure that we can just intrigue people or have them find something that might be of interest with interest to them. If they do that through social and they end up visiting, that's fantastic. If they do that through social and they end up engaging by sharing a post back of something that's meaningful to them from their past or whatever it may be, those are all wins for me. Um, I think it's just about making sure that we're present within the community and that people are paying attention, but also that we're listening and gaining some of those stories from people as well, because we do share those back with our curators, for example. You know, if somebody posts something, it's often a really great way to get in touch with our curators is through social. And so we'll share those back and then they discover things. And and it's a it's a nice kind of relationship that way. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else you ladies would like to share about social media with the museum or do you think we covered it all? So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs> no, plug away. Plug yeah. away. Use the hashtag new hashtag ram. New yeah. ram. Yeah, help us keep taking over from the trucks. <laughs> yeah, you guys are, are the better ram. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, you know, we're really grateful to the, the audiences that we have and the reception that we've gotten. It's so good to be back and it's so nice to see people embracing us with open arms and like really engaging with the museum and, and with our social media. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kelsey and Oksana from the Royal Alberta Museum for joining us tonight, sharing a little bit of their insight giving us their their time and their knowledge. I think this is, has been really interesting. Uh, and I, I would hope that anyone in social media would find it interesting as well. Thank you for listening to Don't Call Me a Guru. We are a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. And uh, looking forward to the next podcast. It'll be monthly now, so we'll see you next month. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. The podcast you are listening to today was produced by Matt Matischuk at the Nate Radio and Television Studios. The music bed for this episode was produced with the help of Doug Hoyer. The logo for Don't Call Me a Guru was designed with the help of graphic designer Rory Lee. Don't Call Me a Guru is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. (laughs) 